Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to Buckeye Talk. Doug Maurice and Bill Landis here to talk to you about Ohio State football, your Cleveland.com coverage team. You can find us on Cleveland.com. You can find this podcast on iTunes and Bill, say the other things. <laughs> I'm going to forget them. Uh, Stitcher, SoundCloud, uh, TuneIn, and Google Play. I think that's it. So you guys must be telling your friends or something because our numbers are going up. More people are taking in the talk. And we appreciate it. So a thanks to the listeners for making this pod even pottier. We have a lot of stuff to get to today. We're, we're enjoying it because it's going to be less of us talking out of our butts, which I know some people like that aspect of this. But we are in that part of the preseason where we talk to players and assistant coaches and Urban Meyer every week now. We usually get Two position groups, so we talk to the assistant for that position group and then the top three or four guys from that position group, and we get Urban Meyer every Monday in case you guys want to know our schedule. So we're going to like devolve some of the things we've learned. We write a lot of it, but there's so much talk, we, we can't write every single thing. So we're going to get into a lot of topics. We're going to start with the guy we think could be the breakout receiver. Who's going to be the guy? We've written a lot about the receivers. We talked to the receivers. We talked to Austin Mack and Ben Victor and Paris Campbell and Johnny Dixon and Terry McLaurin. We talked to Zach Smith. So we want to break that down for you. Cleveland.com has just reported that former Ohio State receiver Anthony Gonzalez is pondering a run for Congress, which is very interesting. So I have some thoughts about Gonzo, who I covered early in my career here. You guys remember him, helicopter catch, right? from Northeast Ohio, St. Ignatius grad. Um, Bill got a box of clothes. (laughs) And this is going to be real because he's going to open it live on the podcast. Tell him a little bit. Tease this box. Okay. So some of you guys may be aware that there are companies on the Internet that will sort of style a look for you, send you some nice clothes. Uh, It's usually like a monthly box kind of deal. Um and I've always wondered why there wasn't one for uh, larger men. If you may not know, I'm a large man. I'm a giant human. Can't you just tell from the voice? <laughs> so anyway, I've always wondered why there wasn't one uh, for guys who were big and tall sizes. And then I found one, and it's called the Winston Box. So I signed up, and I got my first box delivered like 15 minutes before we started recording this podcast. And Doug said, you should open it while we record the podcast. So I'm going to do that. 
And I'm really nervous about it because I don't know what's in there, and I paid money for it. So, and it's mine. It's not. It's not the kind of deal where like you can get it and say I don't like this and send it back. You can't. Well, you can send it back, but you're not going to get anything for it. Um, the only re- the way you can send it back is uh, for fit. You can't send it back because you don't like the style. That's like the deal with them, and it's a little less expensive than some of these other places that you know have prolonged conversations with you about your style preferences and what you'd like to wear. This is just like. Vague description of what you like to wear, and it's like casual or, or I think like classic or something. And I like checked the box that said like I'm all of these things. Like just send me a kind of a hodgepodge of stuff because I've never done this before, so I'm nervous of what is in that box. Are you gonna wear it no matter what? Uh, no, no really, no. If I if I mean, I'm not super picky with what I wear, so I'll probably wear it. But if it's something that I just absolutely don't like, um. I don't know. Maybe I'll like give it the goodwill or something, and then cancel my subscription. <laughs> if if this goes well, though, you may be hearing uh, future ads on this podcast for the what? What's it called? The the, Win- the Winston box. The Winston box. The, yeah, I'm going to get that name wrong. All I right. Think, I think the idea, even if I don't like the stuff that's in the box, I think the idea at its core is a good one because it is tough to get real for a second. It is tough for large men like myself to find stylish clothes that look good. Because when you go to these big and tall scores, stores, a lot of the stuff is like big dog t-shirts with a giant boxer with a bone in his mouth on the front of the shirt. Like, I don't want to wear that crap. I want to, like, look good. So this, I think the idea is, is a smart one. Also, if you're wearing a t-shirt right now featuring a dog with a bone in his mouth, that's great, too. Yeah. But listen, did that not sound like a podcast ad? I mean, what is it? The Winston, the what? I can't call it the Wentworth box. The Winston box, we are going to tweet at them because that was a podcast ad right there. Yeah. If you're a big and tall man, sometimes you don't... Oh, it's so good. All right, but we want to talk football. So here we're going to start with the first question. We think it's an important one for this team. We think it's important because it's like what everyone's talking about. Maybe too much. And I think a point needs to be made that they are not going to find like a guy and say, hey, you're the deep ball receiver. Go run down the field 50 plays a game and we'll throw it to you 12 times and see if you can catch it. They need to have... They're going to play... Six or eight guys. They're going to run a variety of routes. But we knew in 2014, for the most part, if they were going deep, it was going to Devin Smith. So, I mean, certainly there's also a chance for a guy to really develop into that role um, and be the go-to guy, even though some guys will do it some. So, Bill, do you think there will be a person who emerges as the receiver who more often than not gets those deep routes? Or do you think it will be a collective group? And who's it going to be? Uh, I, I do have a pick for a guy who I think might get the majority of those looks, and, it, and it's Johnny Dixon. That will probably be everyone's guess. But um, the reason I say that is because we spoke to Zach Smith. Was it last week we spoke to Zach Smith? Yeah. And um, he gave like a, a pretty good description of what they expect out of the X receiver and the Z receiver. And... I like when coaches do that because, like, we look, we know football, obviously. It's what we do for a living. But when they break it down like that and what exactly they're looking for in specific, specific positions, I think it's really interesting. And I, I'm going to read what he said um, just because I think it's important to this conversation. So the X receiver, he says, our X is our isolation guy. He's got to be the one-on-one. You can't cover him. That's been Michael Thomas and Noah Brown. The Z has to be a good perimeter blocker and the deep threat. And then he said that Austin Mack and Ben Victor were the top two guys at X, which makes me think that Terry McLaurin and Johnny Dixon are the top two guys at Y. And if that's their philosophy, then the guys at Y, or Z, excuse me, not Y, at Z, um, 
those are the guys that are going to get the deep balls. And, and it's no disrespect to Terry McLaurin because I think he's a really nice guy and I think he's a really important leader for the team. I just don't see that dynamic kind of dude that, that's going to really consistently be a deep ball threat for Ohio State. And, and Johnny Dixon just feels much more like that guy to me and probably to a lot of people. There's a little bit of star factor, I think, that you look for and a little little wow and pizzazz like Devin Smith had. And Terry McLaurin just not that. And maybe I'm wrong and he'll be that, but I'm not assuming he will be. And Johnny Dixon, who came to hotel check-in in a sweatsuit and gold-rimmed glasses, I think is is that dude. So he'd be my pick. You're basing your receiver pick on a sweatsuit and gold rim glass. Partly, partly. I think God. fashion. I think fashion matters. Yeah, yeah. I think fashion matters. Winston box. Yeah. Um, maybe there's some gold rim glasses in that box yeah, for you. So. Is your head big? Also, what size hat do you wear? Uh, sometimes an eight fits, and sometimes it doesn't. <laughs> sometimes, yeah. That's a pretty big head. Um, maybe there's a hat in there. So listen, the thing that and and this is an inelegant take, but the thing that's a little hard for me to get my head around is to me. What we're looking for with this deep ball guy is not speed, really. That's not the first thing on the list for no. me. And I wanted to get into this a little bit the other day. We talked to Brian Hartline the other day, too, which was an interesting guy for them to bring out because he's not a full assistant. He's like a – is he a grad assistant? He's quality control. Quality control, quality control. Working with the receivers some. So here's the thing, and I would like to write a story about this, but I didn't get any questions about it, so I can't yet. But – the other day, <clears throat> the Penn State offensive coordinator, Joe Moorhead, went on a rant about people thinking that Penn State's success and quarterback Trace McSorley's success is based on just like chucking the ball up there and letting receivers win 50-50 balls. And he was offended by that and was talking about how much more goes into it than that. I think he thought that was offensive to Trace McSorley as a quarterback and to Penn State as an offensive game plan, game planning team. And to him, that it's like, I don't know, run down the field and we'll chuck it up and see what happens. And so he was offended by that, but I was a little unsure about why he was offended by that because to me, that's exactly what Ohio State needs to do. Yeah. I, and we talked about this a lot. This is also the point where I'm talking through a column. Like I like yeah. to do. Sometimes I do this just in the media room and I start talking and I steal other people's ideas when they talk back and we have a conversation and then I turn it into writing and that's how I get paid. Um, <clears throat> we talked a lot with Clemson before the Fiesta Bowl last year about 50-50 balls and that they had guys like Mike Williams and other good receivers that Deshaun Watson threw a lot of picks because he was not afraid of 50-50 balls. And 50-50 balls, sometimes you're going to lose. You know, and you can't be blasé about interceptions. I don't want JT Barrett to be blasé about interceptions. But on third and 12, if you have a guy, if nothing's there that's right there that's definitely going to work, and you throw a 50-50 ball, throw it. If they pick it off, it's a punt. And there are other situations. It doesn't only have to be third and 12. But I believe in 50-50 balls, especially when you have athletes. If you look at the, the the passes that Cardell Jones completed to Devin Smith in that playoff run, especially against Wisconsin, the Big Ten Championship game, they were not beautiful throws that hit Devin Smith in stride. Mm. They were balls that he threw up, and Devin Smith made adjustments in the air and went up and got them. And the reason he got them is because he was a much better guy on those 50-50 balls than the Wisconsin corners who had no hope covering him. 
I want Ohio State to do that. I want JT Barrett to be willing to do that. Because if you're at Ohio State, you have to have talent on the outside that you believe in. Or you're failing in recruiting. You can't not have that in your game plan. That has to be in your game plan. You have to recruit to it. Because you have to be able to get guys like that. So... That is my treatise in favor of 50-50 balls, which leads me to Johnny Dixon is 5'11". Mm-hmm. I think Devin Smith might be 5'11". And we pause this podcast as we look up the 2014 roster. But Devin Smith, to be fair, was like a high jump champion. Mm-hmm. Devin Smith had speed and had hops. It's not only about that, but you have to be willing and able to go up, adjust in the air, and win a battle for the ball. So I'm not counting on this deep passing game being predicated on perfect... He's 6-1. 6-1. On perfect passes from JT Barrett. There might be some. The Michigan State throw for 38-yard game, what's it, Devin Smith on the sideline, mm-hmm. the best throw of JT Barrett's career was a perfect pass that Devin Smith made a perfect catch on over his shoulder with his hands outstretched. But I'm, when I'm talking about this, when I'm talking about the breakout big play receiver, I'm looking for a guy that can go up and win some of those balls. And it's not fair to only base it on height. We haven't seen much from Johnny Dixon. So frankly... We saw him in the spring game, but I don't know for sure what kind of receiver he is, actually. But I want a guy who can go up and get 50-50 balls. And at the moment, I wonder if that's Ben Victor more than Johnny Dixon. I mean, Ben Victor's 6'4". So I I think that there are different kinds of 50-50 balls, if that makes sense. Like, if you're throwing the ball into the red zone and it's a a jump ball, you obviously want the bigger guy. You want to throw the Ben Victor who's 6'4". Some of the balls I thought that Devin Smith caught were like 50-50 in the sense where the, like the position in which the ball was thrown caused him to track it in the air and judge it correctly and adjust his body and sort of contort in a way to catch it. He wasn't necessarily fighting a, a defender for it. He was more fighting the quarterback's inaccuracy, if that makes sense. Um, and I thought I saw a little bit of that aspect of it, that ball tracking stuff from Johnny Dixon in the spring game. And I don't even know, the, the touchdown catches that he had, I don't know if any of them came against first-team uh, defensive backs. Um, I, JT Barrett didn't throw one to him. They were from Joe Burrow, and I think one was from Dwayne Haskins. But locating the ball over your shoulder when it's not the best thrown ball, turning and high-pointing it and catching it um, is something they didn't have last year. None of the receivers that Ohio State had could do that last year. And I remember one play in particular, and I don't remember the game, but I remember the throw. It was JT Barrett to James Clark, and it was a a deep ball that was thrown well enough that should have been caught. And John, or James Clark is running down the sideline, like looking over both shoulders, trying to figure out which way he needs to turn his body. And then the ball lands next to him and it's incomplete. Not a great throw from JT Barrett, but a good enough throw. And Devin Smith would have caught it because he would have judged it right. And I think that Johnny Dixon might have caught it because he would have judged it right. So that's why I like him more as the, the deep ball guy. I agree with everything you're saying about Ben Victor. If you're throwing to the end zone, if you're throwing – 20 to 25 yards on the field and you want to put it up where he can get it because he's 6'4", do it. That's great. But 30, 40 yards on the sideline on the run where you sort of drop it in the breadbasket and the guy's got to find it, I think Dixon can do that. So it's interesting. I did. A, we are doing a, a countdown of the top 50 Ohio State players leading into the season. We're almost to number 20 by the time you get this. We started at 50, so we have like 30 done. Ben Victor was the other day, and I did Ben Victor. He had four catches last year. He had a touchdown against Maryland in the blowout, mm-hmm. but he had one catch in the Fiesta Bowl. And I misremembered it. Was there a throw to Ben Victor in the Fiesta Bowl that was incomplete, that was sort of like a deep ball, more like of a like a go route? 
kind of like over I don't, his shoulder. I don't remember. There was definitely one earlier in the season where they threw him the ball in the end zone and he didn't catch it. It was like a jump ball and he didn't catch it. Okay, because his catch, his 21-yard reception in the Fiesta Bowl, was like over the middle mm-hmm. of a, a crossing route or a slant or whatever that, that, that he got a half a step on the defender and JT Barrett just did a good job like reading the route, finding the lane, to throw, and he threw it a little bit high, and Ben Victor went up and got it. But if you're going to tell me the way you're breaking down these two receiver spots, that you're going to line up Johnny Dixon and have him go long, and you're going to line up Ben Victor and have him go across the middle, and JT Barrett can put a ball up over the middle, that's a hard throw. And I think JT Barrett at times has struggled with that. It's that whole over the linebacker in front of the safety throw. Mm -hmm. If you're worried about getting it over the linebacker, throw it over the linebacker. Yeah. And let the six four guy go up and get it. And it doesn't have to be a forty yard gain, it could be a fifteen yard gain. Yeah. That could be really good too. So And that would be I mean that would still be a departure from what they did last year. I feel like every ball that JT Barrett threw last year, and not everyone, that's exaggerating, but a lot of them were within like ten yards of the line of scrimmage. And often guys like weren't moving when they caught it, right? Yeah, standing still, yeah. Not in a position to move with the ball after they caught it, yeah. So I do think there's an opportunity. I mean, so the, the one thing that I think people need to be clear on here with this receiver talk is the way you said Zach Smith described these receivers, we've been talking a lot about sort of like there's like the veteran guys, there's McLaurin, Dixon, and then Paris Campbell and K.J. Hill at H-back who are sort of like the veterans. Mm-hmm. And then we have Austin Mack and Ben Victor who are the young guys, both true sophomores who didn't play much last year. And then the true freshmen – Whatever, we're hearing, you know, people say that Jalen Smith, or Jalen Smith, Jalen Harris looked like a playmaker in the first five days of practice, but we're not counting on freshman receivers. So what you're saying is it looks like when, as they rotate through the receivers, it's going to be an older guy and a younger guy on the field, on the outside spots all the time, because Dixon and McLaurin are at the same spot. Yes. And Victor and Mack are at the same spot. Yeah. Which is interesting. Yeah, it is interesting. I mean, it's not like it's like, and just dumb guys like me would think like this, like, well, they're going to go old guys or they're going to go young yeah. guys. Like, they have to either play McLaurin and Dixon or they have to play uh, Mack and Victor. And, of course, that has nothing to do with anything, but it's going to be the opposite of that. It's going to be one and one and one and one a lot of the time because because McLaurin and Dixon are at the same spot. So they're not really going to be on the field together all that much. No, I don't think they'll, I don't, they'll probably never be on the field together um, with the way they rotate receivers. But the, the thing I, 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 I don't know what that means for Terry McLaurin. You know what I mean? Like, I, Well, I mean, one thing is be ready because we don't because know if Johnny Dixon's knees are going to hold up. Or, yeah, have never held And up. we're unbiased observers. I think a lot of people are rooting for Johnny Dixon. He is a fine person to talk to. He is a very together young man. He has dealt with a lot of knee problems here. He has never really had a chance to show what he can do. And I think you can be an unbiased reporter and hope. I think in our hearts, all of us who have anything to do with any football team, all we want is these guys to have a chance to be healthy enough to show what they can do. If it's not good enough to play very much, then so be it. But I think it's really hard when guys aren't healthy enough to take their best shot. And I just want Johnny Dixon to be healthy enough to take his best shot this year. Yeah. I agree with that. And I, I, the other part of it, too, like the, and analyzing the breakdown and the way they use X and Z is, like, you're guaranteed to see not a new face, but, like, the guys that everyone was clamoring for last year, Mac and Victor in particular, and, like, 
three of the top four guys at the two outside positions are going to be new faces, and two of them are at the X. Um, and I think you feel a little bit good about that because you're guaranteed to see the new faces, but I wonder if there will be any trepidation on the part of Ohio State fans that, like, the X receiver, the Michael Thomas spot, like, the go-to guy are two true sophomores who weren't good enough to get on the field last year. And now you're going to have to rely on them. I think that's a big ask. So let's ask this. We think next week we're going to do an over-unders podcast, and then we think the week after that we're going to do our season predictions, and then the week after that we're going to preview the Indiana game. Write that down. Mm-hmm. So we're not, we're not going to get into a lot of prediction stuff right now, but I also like to put Bill on the spot mm-hmm. in the moment. Who leads this team in receptions this year? Receptions, not receiving yards, right? Correct. Um, I'll I'll say Ben Victor. I think there's only one answer. Is it Paris Campbell? It's Paris Campbell. Yeah, I mean, if he's if he's the Curtis Samuel who caught was a seventy something passes last year, then that's yeah, that would make the obvious. That would be the obvious answer. And I just feel like so KJ Hell and Eric Glover Williams are behind Paris Campbell at the H back slot spot. Like, Curtis Samuel was supposedly part of a rotation last year, too. He was on the field a lot. Mm-hmm. I feel like we're going to see more tr- more of a true rotation at the outside spots. I feel like Paris Campbell's going to be on the field a lot. I think he's going to be on the field a lot. I have questions about his hands. I feel like he's dropped a lot of passes in his career. And I thought he looked better in the spring, uh, in spring practice in particular. There were a few practices we got to watch, and I thought, oh, he, he looks like he's really improved like his hand strength and his catching ability. I mean, but I'm not going to bank on it. I thought he, when he got chances in the last two years to make catches, I thought he had a decent amount of drops that it makes me hesitant to say he'll be the leading receiver next year. And maybe I'm wrong to think about it this way, but and I don't really mean this, but I almost felt like passing as much as they did to Curtis Samuel last year was almost cheating. <laughs> like I, I, I think would write a lot about like, well, they have this many catches by their outside receivers. Yeah, because it's great to have a dynamic H. And we see what this offense can be like when they have a dynamic H-back. And Curtis Samuel was by far the most dynamic H-back that Urban Meyer has had at Ohio State. But if that's your whole passing game, it's not a good enough passing game. Like, if I think Paris Campbell is going to lead them in receptions, it can't be he has 72 and the next guy is 35, like it was last year. Wasn't Noah Brown second with like 30-something? I think it was 30. Yeah, it was in the 30s, yeah. That, That can't be the balance, can it? No, and, I mean, and clearly, Michael, clearly it can't be. Michael Thomas never caught 80 balls here, and there are offenses where Michael Thomas would have caught 80 passes. And I thought Michael Thomas, and I told this to his face, and wrote a story about it, always did a very good job of, listen, like, I like, Michael Thomas has a lot of confidence. And if you want to say he has a little diva or whatever, go ahead and say it. He is a very confident receiver in a very good way. That is a 0% criticism of Michael Thomas. But the other thing is, is he never complained. He never, at least to us, never said anything in the media about not getting the ball enough. And I think it's an empirical fact that he did not get the ball enough. I know this team had a lot of people in 2014 and 2015 to go to. They should have gone to Michael Thomas more. I think that was a fault. One, you know, Everyone wants to talk about Ezekiel Elliott didn't get the ball enough in the Michigan State game. I think overall the course of that season in 2015, they did not use Michael Thomas as much as they should have. That guy had 50-something catches, I think, that, that year, and I think he should have had 80. And I think he could have had 80. So, In 15, he had 56. 
that's not it's not enough for a guy that talented. That guy was the best rookie receiver in the NFL last year. He had 56 catches his senior year. Guys have 100 catches in, in this league, in this in college football sometimes. And I understand Ohio State's not running the Texas Tech offense or whatever. So I guess so. <clears throat> if I think Paris Campbell's going to lead them in receptions, that's one thing. But I still think who leads them in receptions among the outside receivers, and that again means we're talking about Dixon, Mac, Victor. Uh, McLaurin, and then if we want to throw in Trayvon Grimes and Jalen Harris, so be it. Um, that is a very important thing. So you're going Ben Victor. I'm going. I'm, I'm betting that although Michael Thomas did not have a ton of catches when he was a good receiver in that X spot, they threw him the ball more than they threw at anyone else, and I think that Victor has the chance to establish himself as that kind of guy. Did Zach Smith talk at all about who is a good blocker so far? Because that is also going to be a part of it. I mean, I'm very curious to see, you know, if Ben Victor misses a couple blocks against Indiana, he's not, you know, who plays more of Ben, of Victor and Mac? That could very well come down to blocking as much as anything else because they are going to run the ball. They're going to run it with Mike Weber. They're going to run it with J.K. Dobbins. They are probably going to run it one way or the other with Paris Campbell, maybe with Demario McCall. JT Barrett's going to run it this year. I think they're going to run it a lot, even as we talk about all this passing stuff. And Ohio State at its best, that three-man receiver core in 2014 of Devin Smith, Evan Spencer, and Michael Thomas, really when you look back, was awesome. Devin Smith has a deep threat. Evan Spencer as a tremendous blocker on the edge, and Michael Thomas as a do-everything guy. That is what this team... If you could draw up a group of three receivers, that is what you would draw up. But you need Evan Spencer in there. And we've talked about Evan Spencer's blocking too much. It's like a mythological thing now. We get it. Evan Spencer was a great blocker. He was. I mean, he was. I mean, he was, right? Was he? He definitely was. He was. Evan Spencer, great blocker, he was. So... Someone's got to do some of that, right? And I think some yeah. of those guys, did, I mean, they did last year. McLaurin and, and Paris Campbell and some of those guys, they did. Paris Campbell started at Virginia Tech in 2015. He started at receiver. He didn't start at receiver because he was catching a million passes. He was doing some other things to be on the field. Mm-hmm. So I think these veteran guys have shown that you because you have to show it. I don't I mean Mac and Victor have not played enough to show it in games. Maybe they're showing it in practice, but I'm very curious to see of the two of them who who emerges as the best guy in that part of the receiver game, and I think that's going to go a long way toward who plays more. I think um, I've I've gotten some tweets from fans before, like criticizing that philosophy, and I think it pertains probably especially to Ben Victor, who is six foot four, but he's not you know he's not 225 pounds. Um, should it matter? Like, should there be, like, special allowances for a guy like Ben Victor, who maybe is not the best blocker on the team, but he might be your best receiver, and you're going to keep him off the field because he doesn't block well enough on sweeps? I mean, I don't know. I don't cover Clemson, so maybe they did talk about it all the time. I don't know. I don't think Mike Williams was the number seven pick in the draft because he was a good blocker. He was not. He was the number seven pick in the draft because he's a six foot four alien who could jump over people. So maybe there should be an allowance. But I just don't – I mean – do you think Urban Meyer is going to give an allowance? I think at a certain point you have to. If if your if your receivers are good blockers and not good receivers, at a certain point you have to drop that, or you're not going to be a good team throwing the ball. And maybe Ben Victor is a good blocker, and I think Terry McLaurin and Paris Campbell are, like you said, and I think Austin Mack, just based on his body type, probably is too. But even if they're like, what are you going to do? 
just I mean, I guess you could just run triple option football and have your offense look like it did in 2015 and 2016. They have run triple option football here before. They just never announced it publicly. They yeah. just did it on the field. 2012 and 13 with Braxton Miller and Carlos Hyde, triple option football. JT Barrett, for much of the last two years, triple option football. Mm-hmm. I mean, whatever, man. Like, it just it is what it is. We don't know what to tell you. Um, all right, that was some good hardcore 25-minute receiver talk. You want to move on to safeties a little bit? And talk some safeties. Yeah, we can talk safeties, or we can open the Winston box. You're so excited. Are you like Jonesing? All right, let's make them. I'm nervous. This I'm is called nervous. a podcast tease. This is called a podcast tease. We're gonna wait on the Winston box, Winston box people. We are tweeting at you, Winston box people. I swear. What better endorser could you ask for than William Landis? He's a fine, upstanding young man. He has a dog. He has a house. He has a lovely girlfriend. And he just got a box of your clothes. And he's drinking water out of a four-gallon jug. Winston Box. Bill Landis. In ten minutes. Let's talk safety. I'm going to be an Instagram model in six months. We, I mean, like, at this point, we definitely have to put, like, we have to tweet out your Oh, yeah. The, the, the shirt. The people will see it. The outfit. Um, so we talked to the safeties. We talked to Greg Schiano. We talked to uh, Eric Smith. We talked to Damon Webb. We did not get to talk to Jordan Fuller that day. Um, he was injured. Not not seriously, but I think that's why we could talk. His voice box was injured. He couldn't talk. Yeah. No, he was on the side, like, working on the sand pit. Minor leg tweak. Greg Schiano said he was expected back at practice this week. We assume he is. Um, what did you think of – I spent most of my time with Schiano and Damon Webb. You were at Eric Smith. Eric Smith is a very interesting guy to us. We did our Breaking Bama series in 2013. It's one of the very first things that we did at Cleveland.com when we – launched that digital part of the Plain Dealer. Uh, we did a series when Marshawn Lattimore and Eric Smith were at Glenville, and they were rep- being recruited by Alabama. They visited Alabama. Uh, we talked about Alabama trying to come in on Ohio State's territory and what that meant, and we spun it off and into, is Ohio State the team um, most prepped to break the Bama dynasty. And then in 2014, they beat Alabama and won the national championship. So we were right, but they haven't done it since. Um, but anyway, Eric Smith has been, people have been, who read Cleveland.com have been reading about Eric Smith for a long time, even his senior year of high school, because we knew how big of a recruit he was. Marshawn Latimer was a huge recruit that year. Eric Smith was the number 66 recruit in the whole United States. He is now a senior who has never started. Urban Meyer always talks about you need seniors, and I'm going to write about this, you need seniors who will have their best year. You need some seniors to stand up. We've seen that in 2014, and I want to write about this some more too because I was thinking about this with the senior stuff. Like the right tackle problems last year mm-hmm. with a young right tackle. You know who played right tackle the previous two years? One-year senior starters yep. who didn't really have problems. Chase Ferris and Daryl Baldwin pretty much locked down those spots, right? I, I might have written that already. Did you? I think I might have, I think I wrote that last year. I think okay. I'm about It's just an appreciation of those one year senior starters because guess what? If they would have had a one year senior starter at right tackle last year, we wouldn't have known about Isaiah Prince's struggles because they would have happened in practice and Isaiah Prince would have been coming this in this year as a true junior and we all would have been like, Wow, Isaiah Prince is gonna start. He's a huge recruiter and binding his time for two years. Instead, he got to have his struggles in front of hundred and five thousand people because they didn't have anybody else to do it. So that's an ode to the senior starter. Is Eric Smith going to be that senior starter, or is Jordan Fuller going to beat him out? 
I mean, I can't figure it out. I don't know. And I, I, I feel like the, the game of him playing with Fuller and Smith this entire time is, like, how different are they? When you're looking to replace Malik Hooker, is Jordan Fuller, the former cornerback, the better guy to fill in there? Or is Eric Smith, who was, like, always a hard hitter um, and never really, like, a cover guy, at least from what I could tell in, in high school and certainly not at Ohio State, like, he would be a deviation from what Malik Hooker was last year and I think ideally what Ohio State would like to have in that position. Um, so it makes me think that Eric Smith in the end won't be the starter. But I think he'll play. I think they'll rotate. But the thing that came across to me the most when we were speaking with Eric Smith is that he's got, and I hate the word swagger, but I also don't know a better word to use besides swagger. Get ready because in like eight minutes you're going to be loaded with swagger thanks to Winston Box. Winston Box. Thanks, Winston Box. He reminded me of Von Bell when we were talking to him. And maybe it's because their voices kind of sound the same, but just like the way he was answering questions, it was just like Eric Smith thinks he's good, knows he's good, and wants to tell you how good he is, which might sound ridiculous for a guy who hasn't played much, but I also think is a thing you'd like to have on the back end of your defense. And even Lindley Cooker, for as good as he was, was never that guy to talk about how awesome he was. Von Bell was. Von Bell had no problem telling you how good he was. And I think if that's the thing that Eric Smith can bring to the back end of Ohio State's defense when the other guys are kind of quiet, albeit very talented, maybe that's the, the role that he filled. But I still don't think it makes him a starter. I think in the end, Jordan Fuller is probably a little more talented than he is. How much did we love interviewing Von Bell? He was the best, man. He was the best. We miss Von Bell. Listen, here's the thing. We are all caught up in, me at the top of the list, in the Malik Hookerness of that Deep safety spot for Ohio State. Mm-hmm. You know who played that deep safety spot for two years before Malik Hooker? Your boy. Tyvis Powell. Was Tyvis Powell Malik Hooker? No. No, no because yeah. no human is Malik Hooker. Right. Tyvis Powell didn't have that kind of range, but Tyvis Powell was a very good, solid two year starter on a national championship team. Yeah. I think Eric Smith could be. I don't think anybody on this team could be Malik Hooker. I think Jordan Fuller has a better chance to be closer to Malik Hooker. But I think Eric Smith can be Tyvis Powell. And you can win with Tyvis Powell back there. What are we what are we Did Malik Hooker say Jordan Fuller's name last year? I'm trying to think like what are we basing that on? That he is a former corner, that he's big and long and rangy. Okay. I think. I think I think that is too. Are we just making that up, and is Eric Smith also big and long and rangy? I mean, Eric Smith was a top 70 national prospect, and Jordan Fuller wasn't. This is what we do. <laughs> We're just, it's like we rail against it, and then we do it. But it's like, everybody forgot about Eric Smith. Let's talk about how Jordan Fuller is much more talented. Um, I mean, that could be right. I mean, but I, I do think it's, you, you can win without Malik Hooker back there. Mm-hmm. You know, Tyvis Powell made the read that put him in position to intercept the two-point conversion from Michigan. In 2013, right? Yeah. He was a three-year starter. Yes. He was like the nickel safety in 13, right? But yeah. basically a he starter. He started 14 and 15. <clears throat> so uh, I don't think it's just going to be that the best athlete will win that spot. And I do think the thing that I still remember from 2015 is talking to Vaughn Bell and Tyrus Powell in tandem, because they like to talk in tandem. We always link Tyrus Powell and Cardale, 
but Tyus Powell and Vaughn were quite a duo on their own. Yeah. And they both talked about how if one of something happened to them tomorrow, Eric Smith could step in for either of them and be just as good as they were. And that was 2015. And then he got hurt. And then last year was 2016, and he was a backup to Damon Webb and Malik Hooker. And now here he is as a senior. So I do think that Eric Smith has just been – it's not a victim. It's just the reality of circumstance. He's had really good players in front of him. They didn't rotate those guys. He did have an injury. It, it didn't completely ruin his career, but mostly it's been what happens at Ohio State sometimes, which is good players in front of you force you to wait. But I feel like Eric's – I don't know that Eric Smith has done anything wrong this whole he time. Got, he got – I mean, there's never a right time to get injured, obviously. Getting injured was about midway through. I think it was like six games into that 2015 season. And I don't know when he got healthy, but he wasn't healthy by the spring. And then this, that was the spring of Malik Hooker. Like, there are probably better times to be injured than this right before the spring in which you have to battle Malik Hooker for a starting position. But, I mean, was anybody going to stop Malik Hooker? No, no, in the end, no. But I, th- I think you – because you said that the, the injury didn't set him back much. And I mostly agree with that. But yeah. I, I think that that piece of it, keeping him out of that spring competition where Damon Webb and Malik Hooker took over the safety position – did hurt him a little bit. Yeah. So the other guy to talk about is Damon Webb, who is the sure safety starter of the other side, the only returning starter in that secondary. And Damon Webb was a guy that we talked about, you guys talked about a lot last year. Whenever somebody did get beat in that secondary last year, it felt like it was Damon Webb. Mm-hmm. And that was mostly because Gary Ann Conley, Marshawn Lattimore, and Malik Hooker didn't get beat all that much. So Damon Webb is at the safety spot. That is more often than not. And Greg Schiano wanted to make the point that either of their safeties can play the deep safety. It, it's not, they're not locked into their roles, but more often than not, you saw Malik Hooker ranging around back there, and Damon Webb was more of a straight up cover guy, especially when teams went three wide, right? Mm-hmm. That's the guy he covers a slot receiver and gets locked up in those matchups. Yep. And that was a problem. There were times like, when we saw them have issues sometimes, they weren't in nickel enough. They ended up moving Gary on Conley to the nickel corner late in the year. Sometimes that was because they would end up with the most dangerous receiver on the other team being in the slot, like Austin – I always say his name wrong. Is it Austin Scott? What's the guy from Northwestern who had like 160 yards receiving against Austin them? Carr? Is that his Austin name? Carr. I can't – but Austin Carr is the Cavs guy. No. Is that also him? What's his name? Austin, Austin what's Austin his Scott face? Scott is the former uh, Penn State running back. So anyway, that Austin fella, he lit him up, and I think some of that was against Damon Webb. Yeah, Austin Carr. Austin Carr. Okay, so Austin Carr. So then they made that adjustment, right, late in the year where mm-hmm. they would play Ward and Lattimore at the outside corner spots, play Conley at, Conley at slot corner, and that worked really well. Greg Schiano was saying great things about Damon Webb. Greg Schiano was talking about Damon Webb as a leader, the guy who has always been the guy. That safety spot is the, the one who's in charge of getting guys lined up. He's a senior back there. He's a second-year starter. He's a guy who was a top 50 recruit nationally when he committed here out of Cast Tech in Detroit. That was a gigantic get for Ohio State. That opened the door that led to Mike Weber and Joshua Allaby mm-hmm. and led to Ohio State making inroads in Detroit for a little bit. Uh, Damon Webb was a game-changer. And so he ended up being in a spot where, okay, guess what? You weren't as good last year as three guys who were first-round draft picks. Okay, well, that's okay. There's a lot of people who weren't as good as Marshawn Lattimore, Malik Hooker, and Gary Ann Connolly. 
So I think he is set up potentially to be another one of those seniors who has a really good final year, and he could end up being like an all-Big Ten kind of guy, I think. I think Greg Schiano has said very good things about him. I think Urban Meyer has said good things about him. And Damon Webb, I think, knows the deal. Listen, here's the deal on this, too. I don't mind asking tough questions to guys. Sometimes I do think it's a little unfair. I almost wanted to ask about, like, hey, you were the guy who got beat all the time last year. But, like, that's last year. And this is this year, and it's not his fault that three other guys went in the first round around him. So I'm wiping the slate clean on Damon Webb. You have to take the past into account as you evaluate things because we don't have anything else to take into account because we don't get to watch practice. Um, But what we're hearing is coaches and teammates saying good things about Damon Webb, and I think Damon Webb is lined up, it seems, for a good senior year at that other safety spot. Agree or disagree? I agree. Oh, you don't, you're going to go in. Disagree. All right. Before we get to the Winston box. Open the box. Think about another box, a box filled with food from the Greater Cleveland Food Bank. Okay, guys, quick second here to talk about the Greater Cleveland Food Bank. Uh, We know it can be hard to know which charities deserve your money these days and which charities you can trust to use that money in the right way. We're telling you, you can trust the Greater Cleveland Food Bank. The ratings website Charity Navigator gave the food bank four stars. That's the highest possible score it can get for its transparency and use of your money. That's one of the reasons why Cleveland.com is a partner of the Greater Cleveland Food Bank. Last year, the food bank provided 50 million meals, 50 million meals, to hungry people in Cuyahoga, Ashtabula, Geauga, Lake, Ashland, and Richland counties. To learn more about giving food, money, or your time, please visit greatercleveland.foodbank.org. Okay. We're going to do the Winston box. All right. So How should I do this? I'm going to open it on the floor so that the uh, ruffling of whatever's in there doesn't no, no, no. blow out your speakers. But we want the, the ruffling. Like a lot of like the really good podcasts, the one better than this, one's better than this, they use that raw audio to take you into the scene of the crime. So we're sitting here. Bill is wearing a Coors t-shirt. Coors, Coors Banquet. Coors Original. Um. He has on a watch and his uh, glasses and his uh, kind of beard. He's opening the box. The box is... What's a kind of beard? Well, like it's not a a It's not like an Abraham Lincoln beard. Oh, God. There's a lot of... There's some blue. There's some blue in the box. There's a note on top of the box with a little hat on it. Is that a hat? Is that a chapeau? That's their logo. Yeah. So, and there's a little... The clothes are tied with a thin bow. A thin bow and a thin ribbon. And the first, the top one is like a nice teal. And coincidentally, I'm wearing a teal shirt right now. So now Bill and I can be twins. So he's opening it. Is it? It's like a t-shirt. It's like a little bit of a v-neck t-shirt, but the shoulders have like a darker blue on it. It's actually not that fancy. It's not soup. This is part of the casual collection, I think. Uh, it's a v-neck. I don't like wearing v-necks. And the darker blue on the shoulders looks almost kind of like mesh, and I don't like that either. So I don't, I don't know if we'll ever wear the shirt. Bill, I think we might be losing our Winston Box sponsorship. Let's try to get well, it back. Let's see. Let's see. All right. So the next shirt looks like a button down, and it's a uh, light blue and white pinstripes. Kind of a classic, uh, a classic look. You probably did check the classic box when you were checking every, literally every box. I checked all style. three. Yeah. So classic, and you checked the oh, teal it's short box. Sleeve. Oh, it's short sleeve. That's a surprise. I'd wear this. I'd wear this shirt. You would. How are you? Are you the short sleeve button downs? Do you wear a lot of those in the summer? Yeah, you do. I don't. I don't like. I'm not a huge fan of uh, short sleeve button down with long pants. 
but mm. I will wear a short sleeve button down with shorts. Certainly. Okay, yeah. I wear a lot of the short sleeve button downs. I'm also I'm, I'm uh, philosophically opposed to the long sleeve shirt with shorts, like the long sleeve button down shirt. Even if you're going to oh, roll right. the sleeves up, I don't like that look either. But I'd wear this shirt. It's a little heavier. Um, Ooh, it is a little but it's like it's white and a lighter blue pinstripe, and I would I'll definitely be wearing a nice stiff collar. Assuming that it fits, <laughs> I think this stiff collar is important. It's yeah. a little more professional. I think Urban will appreciate that. Bill sits in the front row, so yeah. uh, as do I at the Urban Meyer press conferences. Uh, so we need to look good and feel good. Do you think these are pants or shorts? They're khaki. What do you want them to be? Um, pants. Okay. Yeah. Fingers crossed for pants. They're shorts. Oh, Winston box. Oh, wait, no, they're not. Wait! Oh, they're shorts. They're shorts. But they're kind of nice shorts. They look, again, they're nice and uh, they got a nice stiff crease to them. I don't know. Oh, they have like a drawstring. They got a drawstring and like an elastic waistband, which is nice. They look pretty comfortable but also professional. You could wear... Now, is this an outfit? Are you supposed to wear the light blue t-shirt under? Yeah, yeah. So the way it works is like they send you... You're guaranteed to get two pieces, I think, is the way I understood it. And I'm assuming that's usually a bottom and a top. And then, like, that's an outfit. But then as you continue on through your Winston box process, you start to get things you can mix and match in other outfits, obviously. So you will be modeling this later for people to find you on Twitter? There's a pretty good chance that I'll be wearing uh, these shorts and the button-down shirt to interviews on Thursday. Uh, So we'll see it in the video. So come to Cleveland.com. We do uh, videos every time we have interviews, so look for that. We'll make sure we show you the entire look. I think you can go with the t-shirt, too. I think, I, I don't know. We'll see. I'll, I'll try it on. It's not, it's not a deep V. It's not a deep V. No. Because so, are you worried about the chest hair situation? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You could shave the chest hair up to the V. Well, it's also, the, the other part of it is, too, like, I'm, I am never outside without a shirt on, so, like, there's some some pretty serious tan lines happening once you get below the collar. Okay. Well, you might just have to fight through that yeah. and then V up that tan line, then you'll be good to go. Yeah, we'll see. Just go lay in your backyard in your new V-neck shirt. <laughs> All right. I got to say, I thought that was exciting. I enjoyed it. I hope the listeners enjoyed it. So are we going to get – is this going to be a weekly feature now because the box comes every week? No, it comes once a month. Oh. All right, Winston Box. We're tagging you. Say Just say the thing again about how you enjoy uh, – you don't want a dog with a bone on your shirt. I don't want a big dog's t-shirt with a fire hydrant and a giant pit bull snarling with a gold chain around its neck. But if you're wearing one of those right now, it also looks good. Okay. <laughs> I hope, seriously, come on. Can we get a, Can we get one ad? I'm gonna, we'll, we'll shout out Winston. We've said Winston Box a lot. I don't, know, I don't know what the going rate is for podcast ads, but I feel like we're... we're, we're Going above and beyond for a company that has not paid to be mentioned on our podcast. And I think the good thing is that you have not heard of no, – people have not heard of them as much. So I think it's it's new and I think it's still relatively small. And we're going to make your bigness work for us. Mm-hmm. Let's do this, Landis. All yeah, right, we're tagging it. Paid off. All right, we're going to talk a little bit about the O-line. Then we're going to talk about Anthony Gonzalez running for Congress. Um, and we're going to talk about – who's the decommit? Andrew Chatfield. We always like, we're going to get a little, a little recruiting into every one of these because you guys like the recruiting. Make sure you're reading the Landis recruiting stories. If you're not reading the Landis recruiting stories, you're not allowed to listen to this podcast anymore. Every time something happens in recruiting, Landis is all over it. He writes the news. He talks to the coaches of the kids. He tells you what it means. He's going to be writing recruiting features. He asked a really good 
recruiting question of Urban Meyer the other day, and Urban Meyer said, that's very observant. It felt good. It's, it felt like uh, like when your teacher like thought you did a good job. Yeah. yeah. You know what's going to happen on Monday when you sit down? Maybe you should save it for Monday. Urban Meyer's going to say, Bill, that is one handsome outfit. Yeah. <laughs> did you get that from Winston Box? Yes. Um, but we don't want Urban Meyer to be an endorser because then they won't need us. Right. All right. So we're going to talk O-line. We talked to Billy Price, Jamarco Jones, Isaiah Prince. Who else? Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan. Those then, four guys. And then Stud, Coach Stud. So the thing, you talked to Coach Stud, you talked to Isaiah Prince. I talked to Jamarco Jones and uh, Billy Price a little bit. Um, Billy Price, we know you're listening. Hi, Billy. Um, <laughs> Billy Price is a consumer of media, and Billy Price said that he enjoys reading stories, not watching videos. So Billy Price, in, as a consumer of media, is also like a 50-year-old man. That makes sense. If you've ever had a chance to talk to him, that makes a lot of sense. He's actually. a very serious young man, yeah. but we appreciate Billy Price reading our stories, but hopefully he also listens to our podcasts. So, Billy Price, if you're listening to this, make sure next time we see you, you mention to us the fact that we shouted you out on the podcast. You know who could wear Winston Box clothes? Billy Price. Billy Price. But again, don't go down that road. <laughs> oh, yeah. We're sure. locking you in as the best they can get. <laughs> Pat Elfline turned talking about roosters as a senior into an actual endorsement with roosters wings. Yeah. We do not want Billy Price going down that road with Winston box. Yeah. Billy Price wears a lot of like, like tank tops and stuff. Yeah. He's got big arms. Um, all right. We talked to the O-line. Say your thing about Isaiah Prince. I didn't get a chance to talk to him. You did. I thought it was very interesting. You wrote about this in our daily nuggets. Again, if you're not reading our Ohio State football daily nuggets, turn off this podcast and go read them right now. <laughs> but tell the people what you wrote and so, what you thought. So I thought the most interesting thing about talking with Isaiah Prince like had nothing to do with football. And it was just the difference in sort of his demeanor. And I talked to him at Fiesta Bowl Media Day. Oh, I should say I tried to talk to him at Fiesta Bowl Media Day. Um, and he wasn't having it. And it wasn't like he was being a jerk. It was just like he was a sophomore who had, had some struggles, especially recently leading up to that game, and was like sitting there with his head down, had his headphones on, was buried in his phone. He was not enthusiastic about talking to anybody about his 2016 season. And typically, how enthusiastic are people to talk to you? To me, uh, specifically, uh, they're usually pretty happy about yeah. it. Yeah. Um, but it was just like he was down. Like he had, he had a bad year. He wasn't playing well. Everyone was talking about him. And he was a young kid. He was a true sophomore. He didn't want to talk, and that's understandable. And then he walked out for interviews on Monday, and it, like you would have thought the guy was an All-American last year, the way he was handling himself, which I, I, maybe that sounds crazy to say, but I think that's a good thing for him. He, like, he, he, he stood tall. He was, he was more talkative. Then at any other point, and I think I've interviewed him maybe two or three times prior to Monday, and he was always a man of very few words and, and maybe a little bit shy and soft-spoken for a guy who's six foot forever. Um, but he owned it. He owned last year. And, and someone said at one point, like, are you sick about talking about last season? Which, again, if the answer was yes, that would have been understandable. And his answer was no. He said, let's talk about it. I'll answer whatever you want about last year. Um, and like in hindsight, it was good for me. I'm, I, he wasn't happy it happened, but I think he learned from it. It was just he was he was mature. He was like you talk to Billy Price, and like Billy Price is a grown man. And you talk to Jamarco Jones, I think you get that vibe. And we spoke with Taylor Decker when he was here, and Pat Elfline. Like those were all adults in their final years of college football, ready to go on to the pros. And Isaiah Prince was carrying himself in that way, which again has nothing to do with football, but I think will help him tremendously this season. Because he admittedly was a guy who like held on to everything. One bla- one bad play ruined his game. 
Um, and you can watch it if you go back and watch the games like against Penn State and Michigan. He missed one block, he was done, and they were going to tee off on him all night, and JT Byron was going to get sacked. And if he's now able to flush that stuff and he's not that young kid who got rattled at the first sight of something going wrong and is sort of going to handle his business the way the guys who have played in that position before him have, then he's going to be a better player next year. This is the one thing. So I think USA Today went through all their college football predictions, and I, I heard someone else talking about this, but they picked one team to go 12-0, and mm-hmm. and it was Ohio State. Colin Cowherd has picked Ohio State to win the national championship. The thing that could sell you on Ohio State a little bit, and it's a lot of it's going to come down to JT Barrett and what this offense can do better, but guys like Michael Jordan, Isaiah Prince, Damon Webb, Paris Campbell, there are guys on this team who are talented players who were not great last year but played a significant role last year who are back playing those same significant roles this year and could be a lot better. So you lost Hooker. You lost Lattimore. You lost Elfline. You lost Noah Brown. You lost a lot of important guys. But while you know that Tyquan Lewis and Sam Hubbard and the guys in that defensive line are going to be good, there are you know Chris Worley is going to be good. You know Jerome Baker is going to be good. There are a lot of guys that could be a lot better and part of the reason Ohio State wasn't as good as they should have been, maybe last year, I'm, I'm phrasing that wrong. Ohio State was better last year than they should have been, but where their holes were, were understandable holes maybe, where guys were playing who weren't ready to play or just weren't great players yet. And now those guys are back and there's a lot of things showing with guys like Prince and Jordan and Webb um, that would tell you Paris Campbell seems like a very confident guy and lots of people are saying great things about him. It just is giving you an indication that while the names are the same in a lot of spots, they could almost be completely different players this year. Yeah, I got I got much of the same vibe I got from Isaiah Prince I got from Michael Jordan. Yes. Who, again, last year was a true freshman and looked scared to death sometimes in interviews because we can be scary people. He, especially you. Especially me. In my, in my fresh Winston box button down. <laughs> I think we're playing landing on a little too thick now, maybe. Um, but no, that, that, that's, that's, a, that's a real thing. There's, there's been multiple guys on this team who, just from a pure maturity standpoint, seem like much different people. And Michael Jordan was saying he didn't think last year was terrible for him. And I don't think anybody would say it was a terrible year. He thought, all things considered, he was pretty good mm-hmm. in the situation he was thrown into. But I also, he did he sort of indicate that he was a little bit surprised that it unfolded that way. and That, that he, he was starting? Yeah. yeah. And that he ended up being that guy. And it's sort of like, if, if they said to you, Michael, you're a true freshman. Would you like to start this year? In your heart, you might almost say, well, you know what? Like, if I could just have one year yeah. to sort of figure it out. I mean, thanks for the offer, but could I just start it next year instead? That's not how they do it. No. They say, you're better than everybody, play. And then you say, I was in high school last year. I just went to my prom. He okay. didn't even go to prom. <laughs> oh, because he was in spring football. He early enrolled, yeah. So, and it's not, again, like a lot of this, and that's why sometimes I think – you know, we, we try to call it like it is and, and question people and, and give you the real true analysis because we work for you guys. But it is hard sometimes. It's why it's different than the pros is that sometimes the reason that a, a guy is in the game and not performing well is not his fault because he's the best they have. 
And it's the fault of the team for not having an older, better guy ready. And I think that applies to both offensive line spots a year ago. But Prince was a sophomore. Jordan was a true freshman. That really applied at left guard. And, and didn't you asked, you guys were talking about that with Michael Jordan a little bit, right? About like the idea of him beating out other veteran guys a year ago. Yeah. I mean, Matthew Burrell and, and Demetrius Knox were multiple year players in the program. And Mike Jordan came in and, and, Felt like he beat them out, like even before spring practice. And they were both big recruits, Knox and Burrell. Yes, yeah, they were borderline top hundred recruits, both of them, four-star offensive linemen, brought here with the intention of you're eventually going to be starting. And it hasn't happened for either one of them yet. It will probably happen this year, maybe for one of them, unless Malcolm Pridgen wins the job. But um, Michael Jordan came in and, and like beat them out in winter conditioning with Mickey Marotti and was the starting left guard on the first day of spring practice, which. I mean that it's a crazy it's crazy, um, but I asked Michael Jordan like was that what what did you showing up on campus and beating those guys like did that change anything in the offensive line room because you would I mean you would assume that maybe Demetrius Knox and Matthew Burrow were not necessarily happy about that why wouldn't they be and he said no he said he expected that to be the case and and to have some difficult maybe awkward conversations about like hey sorry I came in and beat you maybe you should have been better. Um, but he said none of that stuff happened. He said everything was very supportive, and Greg Stoudrawa said that in the end, um, and I don't want to go down like the blessing in disguise road. Cause Boo, not, we hate not, blessing in disguise. It's not a blessing in disguise because what happened wasn't a blessing. Their offensive line wasn't good. Um, Burrell and Knox are better for that now to some degree because they don't want it to happen again in a world where Wyatt Davis and Josh Myers just showed up on campus who were better high school prospects, much better high school prospects than Michael Jordan was. And Thayer Munford, who, by the way, is the guy, is the true freshman that Urban Meyer keeps saying is actually the best true freshman so far, which I think is another little surprising nugget of camp so far, that Davis and Myers are huge recruits, and Thayer Munford was a late commit to the class, an Ohio kid, and has come to camp ready to go, which is another little vindication and indication that you need to take good Ohio kids and not just get all five stars from around the country because sometimes good Ohio kids show up and are good. Thayer Munford. Watch him. He's going to be on the depth chart. He's going to be in the 2D, and it's, it'll be a bit misleading because Brandon Bowen will be the back of both tackle spots, but I would bet good money that when we get that first first depth chart that Thayer Munford will be either the number two at right tackle or left tackle. All right, so we handed a big serious thing that I wanted to talk about. I think we're not going to talk about it. We're going to wait. I'm going to write about it. That's a tease to come read stories later. You know who? what we should do? Uh, we should have Anthony Gonzalez like cut some ads. Oh, make a yeah. Punk, I talk. Yeah. We are going to talk about that a little bit, though. We're not going to talk about the other serious thing. Oh, yeah. Um, so Anthony Gonzalez... We could, but we're going to sell that spot. It's political advertisement. Who's his opponent? Who's he running against? So I don't really understand anything, but so <laughs> Cleveland.com reported this. We're recording this Tuesday evening. We just record, uh, reported this a couple hours ago that Anthony Gonzalez, the former Ohio State receiver, was uh, made the uh, miraculous catch against Michigan to help beat Michigan, um, was a first-round draft pick uh, in the NFL of the Indianapolis Colts. Uh, played with Peyton Manning, had some concussion problems there, was briefly with the New England Patriots, and then retired. Had a uh, career shortened by um, concussion issues. 
and was always a really smart dude. I tell the story a lot. The first story I ever got on the front page of the Plain Dealer when I started on this beat, um, I started in 2005, and I guess this was in 2006. He's, Anthony Gonzalez, who went to St. Ignatius, slept in a hyperbaric chamber, like special oxygen, high-altitude stuff to like help his body like recover more quickly. And so when Ohio State moved into preseason camp, I think before the 2006 season, I went up into the, the hotel room where he had and saw his tent, and we took photos of his tent and uh, talked about his tent. And it was interesting, but Anthony Gonzalez was always a really smart guy, always an interesting guy, went to Stanford Business School, little-known fact, maybe it's widely known, I don't know, I think Peyton Manning wrote him a recommendation letter for Stanford Business School, which is no small thing. Um, there are indications that he is interested in running for Congress, for the U.S. seat um, that's currently held by a Republican that is, I think is expected to be vacated, and uh, Gonzalez, it seems like, would run as a Republican, and that, and that he is testing those waters. I believe he's 31 years old. Uh, our Andrew Tobias had that story, broke that story today. Um, I'm trying to get a hold of Anthony Gonzalez because I'd love to talk to him about this. Um, but the interesting thing I think is there are a lot of smart guys who come through this football program. Some are not, but a lot are. And there are some smart guys who talk about you know, it, it, the, re, the reality is, is that it's hard to major in certain things here sometimes because it does not fit your football practice schedule. You might want to major in chemistry or some very, you know, aerospace engineering or some very sophisticated thing. It is a very difficult thing to do to be a scholarship football player and major in a very difficult major. And that is true at any big time football program. It's just the way it is. You have to commit yourself so fully to football and sometimes those those really difficult specific majors have labs and small classes and things that are at only a certain time. And if it's in the afternoon during the week, you can't take it because you have to be at football practice. And there's not a lot of give on that. Um, so a lot of guys, we like to write about smart guys who are really true student athletes. And, and all of us as sports writers, you get wrapped up sometimes in writing about this guy's going to be a scientist and this guy's going to be a design airplanes, and then, you know, this guy's going to be a doctor, and then they end up being like a football announcer, which is fine. Bill and I make our living through sports. It's mm -hmm. fine to be a football announcer, but sometimes people think that you're going to be a, a physicist. Uh, Anthony Gonzalez is a really smart guy that now is entering a field where being a smart guy would be like a really nice thing. I'm not certainly not saying all politicians are smart, but the best ones are. The best ones are. They understand complex issues and how to solve problems and how to relate to people. And um, this is not an endorsement of Anthony Gonzalez. This is not a political podcast. And this is not a political issue. I'm just talking about we've seen athletes run for political office before. Um, of all the athletes that I have covered at Ohio State, if you said, who would you want to run for political office just based on the person that you knew while they played Ohio State football, Anthony Gonzalez would be in the top 10, maybe in the top five. You know, there's a lot of guys that I like. I sort of have my favorites. Malcolm Jenkins is one of my favorites. You I should would, rate that. I would love for Malcolm Jenkins to run for political office someday. Um, James Laurinaitis is one of my favorites. I would love for James Laurinaitis, you know, to get involved in a way that can really help people. Anthony Gonzalez is on that list. He's a smart guy. He's an insightful guy. Uh, he certainly, I think, can communicate with people. And he's sort of lived up to what we thought 
he might be by going to Stanford Business School and now maybe throwing his hat into the political realm. And so I don't know who his opponent's going to be, um, but I think it's really interesting. And you should not vote for anybody because they were a football player. But from my personal experience, I would tell you Anthony Gonzalez is more than a football player. I'm sold. And if you want to run a political ad uh, on our podcast, we would probably accept that. And now I probably have to give equal time. I think there might be a rule. Whoever your opponent is, Anthony, uh, either in the primary or in the general election, um, I guess we will give them equal time on Buckeye, Buckeye Talk if they want to be on. If they want to pay for it. We, we would be happy to host a debate also between Anthony <laughs> Gonzalez and any of his opponents. I'm going to – like on Cleveland.com, not on Buckeye Talk, like on like a – No, on Buckeye Talk. I think maybe, this is where yeah. this is where it happens. That's sure. That's sure. Um, all right, let's talk recruiting, and then we're going to take some of your questions. Bill, tell us the latest in the guy who's not coming to Ohio State. Sure, um, Andrew Chatfield, a four-star defensive end from American Heritage in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, which is the same high school that produced Torrance Gibson, decommitted from Ohio State on Monday night, and frankly, I think it was something a lot of people saw coming. Because of this. Um, you guys know Ohio State's Friday Night Lights camp. We've written a lot about it over the last you know, five years. Urban Meyer's been here. Um, he started that at Florida. Florida has its own version of that. They still call it Friday Night Lights, even though Urban Meyer's not there anymore. Um, so Florida's Friday Night Lights and Ohio State's Friday Night Lights were on the same day this summer. And Andrew Chatfield chose to go to Florida's. Instead of Ohio State's, while being committed to the Buckeyes, he did so to earn an offer from Florida, and I think at that point it was fairly obvious that Andrew Chatfield, in the end, was probably not going to be in Ohio State's class, um, which is fine. It's really difficult, as some people pointed out on Twitter, to, to get commitments from kid in, kids in Florida and then ultimately keep them through until signing day. Ohio State has had some pretty good success, kind of unprecedented success in doing that. Not a lot of programs can. Um, and I think Chatfield just sort of falls in line with that, that he wanted a Florida offer. He wanted a Miami offer. Uh, he was starting to get love from those programs, and he decommitted from Ohio State. And I think ultimately he'll probably end up in Florida. Um, so he is out of the class. It's a four-star defensive end, no longer in the class, leaving Ohio State with one defensive end in its 2018 recruiting class. That's five-star prospect Brenton Cox. Um, but they're going to have to add more. And people, us included, like we police the numbers pretty hard, Ohio State scholarship numbers, um, probably more than anybody. Yeah, us first. Yeah, yeah, which is important. Like we should do that. And people might say, well, it's a good thing Chatfield's not in the class because they're going to have too many defensive ends. They're not going to have too many defensive ends. Um, reason one being that Urban Meyer said on Monday that you can never have too many defensive ends. He said elite offensive linemen and elite defensive linemen, you take them pretty much no matter what. And they're going to lose three. They're going to lose Tyquan Lewis. They're going to lose Jalen Holmes because they're seniors and – uh, it's safe to assume that Sam Hubbard's going to the NFL, I think, yeah. after this season. So three going out, you probably want to bring three in. So they have Brenton Cox. Uh, they are still actively recruiting five-star prospect Micah Parsons. They are recruiting four-star Cleveland Heights defensive end Tyreek Smith and four-star defensive end Jason Owe from uh, Blairstown, New Jersey. So those are the three guys at the top of the board. And what I wrote after Chatfield decommitted was this, is that while they are in good spots for Parsons and Smith, and Owe, maybe more the first two than Owe. Um, they're not locks to come to Columbus. Maybe Smith is the most lock kind of guy out of, out of the three. But if you see Ohio State recruiting some more defensive ends, take that as a sign that they're not feeling great about where they stand with Micah Parsons and Tyreek Smith and Jason Owe. 
because they need to take at least two defensive ends and probably three defensive ends in this class to replenish a group that's going to lose three really good players next year. Um, I had a specific question about it, and it flew out of my head. So a big deal or not a big deal that, that they lost this guy? At the moment, I'm treating it as not a big deal. Oh, I, I know what I forget. Contingent on who they end up getting at that position. If they end up, even if they get one of those guys, Parsons, Smith, or Oway, those any of those three are better than Chatfield. So the one thing is, um, that Friday Night Lights thing, there were a lot of other schools that had their Friday Night Lights on the same Friday mm-hmm. that the lights were on in Ohio Stadium. Florida among them, Texas among them. And I was talking to somebody from Ohio State when that was over, and they were very happy with how the night went. And I said, like, what's the deal with, with all these other places having it the same night? Like, what does that do? And they said, well, you just try to get the kids in the area, and you assume that kids in Florida are going to go to Florida. Like, when there's good options, close, right, that they – I didn't think from the way Ohio State talked, I didn't think that they thought it was a deal breaker or anything that he wasn't at Ohio State's Friday Night Lights, that it seemed understandable – that he would go to Florida's Friday Night Lights when he's when that's closer for him, right? Yeah, I, I think they probably weren't thrilled with it because he's a commitment. He's not a player they were still trying to get on board. Like Jackson Carmen had the choice of going to Clemson or Ohio State on that day, and he went to Ohio State, and that was like, that's a huge deal. But if he would have gone to Clemson that day, that uh, that certainly wouldn't have been a deal breaker on Ohio State's part. It just would have been like he chose to go to one school over the other. But Chatfield went to Florida to earn a Florida offer while being an Ohio State commit on the day that Ohio State was hosting its biggest recruiting weekend. Um, so that probably didn't sit too well with Ohio State, but it also is not the case of, and I don't want to make it sound like that happened and Ohio State said, okay, well, you're gone. Because Urban Meyer does preach like open lines communication, and as long as guys tell them they're going to look at other programs, they seem to be okay with that. Um, but that exact thing, that's what cost that one kid a Michigan State scholarship the other year, right? That Gavin Cup. Was a Michigan State commit, went to Ohio State's Friday Night Lights to try to get an offer, and got his Michigan State scholarship yanked. Yes, and I think it's also a little bit of what happened with Antoine Simmons, who was a linebacker committed to Ohio State, who I believe took in a, a, a secret official visit to Michigan State without telling Ohio State. And those are the kinds of things. not Going somewhere and visiting and not telling the program you're committed to are the things that don't sit well with Urban Meyer and his staff. Because they have to, they talk so much. I don't know if there's any coach in the country who talks as much as Urban in support of keeping your recruitment open and and going even after a commitment. He does not want early signing days. He does not want kids locked into things before they've made a complete thorough decision. So he does not ban. He says he did. They do not ban kids from doing stuff. You know, like we're not going to yank your offer for doing things. I think it's fair to want communication, but I always wonder a little bit if they walk the walk, if they walk their talk when it comes to the. Oh yeah, will you keep your options open. You know, go visit, gather all the information you want. Even if you're committed to us, that's fine. Like, do they really? Do they really think it's fine? Truly. Or do they give off bad vibes to kids who do that? Uh, I, uh, it's so hard to trust stuff in, in the recruiting game, but I, I kind of buy it for the most part. I, I don't think that they rescinded Andrew Chatfield's offer. Like he, yeah, there's no reports of that. Right? No, and and like you send out the official offers on August first, and like they're official in the sense that it's like we're still interested in you. And even after Andrew Chatfield went to Florida in July, Ohio State still sent him that offer letter, and he tweeted it out. He would just been like. 
it was pretty obvious he was very interested in Florida. And I think it was just he decided it was time to decommit. And maybe he'll end up going to Miami, but I think he'll be a Gator in the end because that's, he seems really interested in the program. All right, let's go to the phones. It would be great if we could have live call-ins. Sometime we will have this. We will, we will lock down. What we'll do is we'll lock down the exact time we're going to do it. And it's fluid a lot of times, but we'll lock down. We're definitely going to do the podcast at this time, and then we'll line up some of you loyal listeners, and we'll have you guys come on um, and be on the podcast. So we'll we'll get that worked out. If you want to be on sometime, tweet at us. I was joking with some people this week that they I, people arguing my Twitter mentions. I said, let's have your argument on the show. That'd be great. And yeah. Someone else wanted said he wanted to come on the show and put some respect in our mouth when it comes to JT Barrett because he, he had some points to make that he thinks we're not giving JT enough credit, which I'm all open for. I, mean, I also we, wholeheartedly disagree with that. That we haven't given him enough respect? I think we've given him more respect than most have given him. I, like, I've never said that I don't think JT Barrett should be the starting quarterback. I don't think any of us have. But we, but we were more real about him last year. We were more real about him last year when people were talking about Heisman stuff. And we were like, he's not the Heisman candidate. So I think he's now. not the Heisman Trophy winner and saying he's bad or too no. Vastly different things. We have legitimate questions about him, though. That's we just keep it built. Let's get we that keep it a hundred. Let's, Let's talk. I want to talk about. We it. keep it a hundred every day. One hundred. And you know who else keeps it one hundred? Winston Box. Winston Box. All right. <laughs> get some. You guys did some more good questions this week. Bill got the questions and he said, "Doug, these are fine questions." Yeah, they are good. So let's go. Okay, uh, this question is from uh, James. I'm not going to try to pronounce your last name, James, but we appreciate the question. Uh, Twitter handle looks like it's Buck Buck L Stick maybe. Uh, will Will any freshman besides J.K. Dobbins make the two deep, especially the O line, where it seems we may need quality depth? I kind of touched on that already, saying I think Thayer Munford will be in the two deep. Um, I don't think in the end that Wyatt Davis or Josh Myers will be. Um, I think. The right guard battle seems like it's Matthew Burrell or Malcolm Pridgen, and they'll be a starter there, obviously, and whoever loses will be the number two guy. And then left guard is Michael Jordan and Demetrius Knox, I think. So offensively, I think the only freshman you'll see in the two deep is J.K. Dobbins. Defensively, you're not going to see any freshman in the two deep on the defensive line. Probably People not. are going nuts, by the way, and we probably need to write more about it because it's a magic headline name. and We, we know the guys that we put their name in a headline. You guys are going to go nuts for the story. Chase Young... People yeah. keep talking about Chase Young, and like we, I think, are taking it all with a grain of salt because it's like there are four potential first-round picks ahead of you on the depth chart. It's great that you look like an NFL player right now as a true freshman and you're a top-ten national recruit. You're at the wrong position, bro. So do you think there's any way Chase Young does anything meaningful other than like blowout snaps this year? No, I think he's going to play. I don't That's think he's, he's going to play. They'll rotate him in, man. If he's good, they'll rotate him in. They're not going to hold him back. He's all—he's not going to be here for four but, years. But you think he's good enough to take snaps away from Sam Hubbard or Tyquan Lewis or Nick Bosa or Jalen Holmes? If that means like he's yeah. that good, I think. Oh, well, I don't know. Like we don't get to watch practice, but, but like this snap, this play—it's third down. It's third and seven against uh, Rutgers. The game is not yet out of hand. It's midway through the second quarter. It's fourteen to three. Ohio State has a lead, but Rutgers is. Uh, at the 37-yard line, just outside field goal range, it's third and seven, and they put Chase Young on the field. Uh, no, no, probably not that. But like, he might be on the field on second and ten. I don't know. Like, he's not. I don't see it, Nick. I don't see it. I don't see how you can do it. You're going to take snaps away from Jalen Holmes as a senior to give to a freshman. Maybe I'm not saying you take. I'm not saying that 
Chase Young is going to play 30 snaps a game. But I think Chase Young's role will be beyond playing the second half against UNLV. This is going to be one of our over-unders next week. We're going to have to chart Chase Young snaps. We're going to chart Chase Young snaps. We'll get Bielek on it. Tim Bielek has joined our coverage team. He's not on the podcast this week. Tim Bielek, we're going to have him chart Chase Young. Number two. Number one in your hearts, number two in your you program. You don't give a defensive end number two unless you plan on playing him. Number science. First run in the two deep. None on the defensive line. I think none at linebacker. I got one for sure, though. Jeff Okuda yeah. in the secondary. And I think maybe Isaiah, Isaiah Pryor. Pryor. Because, so Jeff Isaiah. Okuda is almost certainly the fourth corner mm-hmm. that Kendall Sheffield, Denzel Ward, and Damon Arnett may be the three-man rotation of starters the way Conley, Lattimore, and Ward were last year. So on the depth chart, two of them will be starters. Maybe the third one, like Sheffield, might have an or with Arnett or just be listed as a second-team guy. Who knows? But then I think the other corner spot, I don't even know who else it would be. I think it's got to be Okuda. Yeah, I think it's Okuda. And then and then the safeties, it's going to be like Eric Smith and Jordan Fuller are going to be the two guys at the one safety spot. Damon Webb's the starter at the other safety, but then it's probably Isaiah Pryor, it's, who also just got his black stripe off. Yeah, and that's what makes me think it might be. Justin Wint is also in that mix, but I think Pryor... If Pryor is on the depth chart in the two deep, I would not be surprised by that. And no, no receipt, no receivers because no receivers. you already showed what that's going to look like at the receiver spots. Um, Dobbins will definitely be in there. Uh, Tate Martell will be the backup quarterback. I'm kidding. I was just going to make that same joke. Here, there was a lot of Tate Martell talk this week. We did a video about it. You guys can go watch it. Uh, I don't know what to think of the Tate Martell talk. I, he, did you see the run? They showed it in one of their highlight videos. Yeah. I think Tate Martell broke like one big run in a scrimmage. Yeah, I think he had like an 80-yard touchdown run, yeah. And people, it led people to like talk about him in a way that led the entire beat, including us. So we do. To write posts with his name in the headline. But I do not think it means. You know what talking about Tate Martell does? Keeps you from talking about the starting quarterback. So would you... Would you buy a shirt that said House Martell? No. No? No. Like a Game of Thrones shirt that's also about the fourth string quarterback? That's not a no. that's not selling like hotcakes in Columbus. Not, oh yeah, no, it would. I would have buy one though. Okay. House Martell. I'm not, I'm not Team Martell. I like Not Tate, Team Martell. Tate Martell. House Martell. Tate Martell seems like a swell guy, but Game of Thrones uh Martell. Not with it. Dun, 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 dun. We're not gonna talk about Game of Thrones. Alright. Okay. Uh, so for freshman of the two deep. We said J.K. Dobbins, yeah, Jeffrey Okuda, uh-huh. and Thayer Munford. Yes, and possibly Isaiah Pryor. And, Isaiah I, Pryor. and I don't think Wyatt Davis or Josh Myers, okay. but they have, a, they have a chance. But those four. Okay. Yeah. Um, New question. New question. So James Octavius, frequent uh, question asker, said, who do we think will be the starting safeties? We talked a lot about safeties. I think just quick answer, who do you think will be the first safety out next to the Eamon Webb against Indiana? Eric Smith. I think I agree. Eric Smith. Really? I thought you were Team Fuller. I changed my mind through the podcast. I reserve yeah. the right to do that. We um, hope you change your mind through the podcast. <laughs> Two questions about Demario McCall. Uh, one from John Ice and one from Scott Duda. What's up, Duda? Um, are they going to get McCall the ball? McCall is electric. Where does he get touches this year? So did we write about this yet? But they were t- like, he's now he's taken a little bit of H-back H. stuff, which that I think. That should be a nugget of dibs. 
Dibs on that nugget. Yeah. Uh, which I think makes a lot of sense. I mean, it's, it's okay. They sort of messed, not messed around. You're finding stuff out. They moved Curtis Samuel around a little bit, you know, before he became what he was as an H-back. He was a true tailback for a while at Ohio State. McCall seems more like an H-back hybrid guy, but they, I think they do. I think, does it seem like J.K. Dobbins has, like, taken camp by storm a little bit? Yeah. And all of a sudden it's like, oh, J.K. Dobbins is the number two tailback. Okay, how are we going to get Demario McCall on the field? Yes, it does feel that way. And I'll say this. So we're only permitted to watch, well, nothing the rest of camp. But the two practices we got to watch, it was stretching and then the first three periods, which amounts to like 35, 40 minutes of practice. But, it's, but aren't the periods five minutes? Yes. So it's 15 minutes of actual practice. Of actual practicing. And the first unit, the first five minutes is always punt. Right. So, but, but here's what I do when they t- when Jerry Emink, the very nice man who was a sports information director for Ohio State football, tells us it's time to leave the field. Oh. I I walk slowly backwards. You know who does that? You know no. who invented that move? Who? Tim May. Yeah. So I was walking slowly backwards off the practice field. No, you gave it away though. You last, gave away. Sorry, we're okay. We're not going to see practice until March, so it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was walking slowly backwards off the field on Saturday, and I caught. Four seconds, just happened to be looking in the right place at the right time. Demario McCall lined up in the slot, put a hard slant on Jerome Baker, and caught a pass from JT Barrett and like looked like he knew what he was doing. So I was hesitant to buy Demario McCall slot receiver before I saw that because he just seemed like a running back to me. I'm now in on Demario McCall slot receiver. I still think it's difficult to find him touches there with Paris Campbell and KJ Hill. but And Superman. And Superman. But... You will see Demario McCall in the slot this year. Superman! I just might change Demario McCall's nickname to Superman instead of Eric Glover Williams' nickname being Superman so I can sing it still. Um, yeah, it's J.K. Dobbins, when we talked to him in the spring, said that they were calling him Meatball. I, he's just like a... He really seems like he's impressing a lot of people, and he is a straight-up ball carrier. Like, J.K. Dobbins is not slotting anything. No. But... Uh, Paris Campbell's Paris Campbell, but you know who the most Curtis Samuel-y guy on this roster is probably is Demario McCall. Demario McCall yeah. So if you want a little bit of that, then he might be able to give you a little. A little bit smaller, of but yeah, same so, same kind of skill set. Um, we have a question. One of these questions is so good, I feel like we can't answer it what because is it? it's his own story. We've done this story before, I think, from Alex Schraps, S C H R A P P S. Good question, Alex. Who are the most irreplaceable players on offense and defense? Which is like, I love stuff like that. Because like, I think we're going to have to do that as a video or a story. I think I've done that before. I love the word irreplaceable because it brings so much into account. It's depth of the position. It's importance of the position to winning. It's how good you are as a player. And it's something that is true. We don't. Nobody likes to talk about injuries like preemptively to jinx people. But it's like it's just the idea of who do you really not want to get hurt? Because like for instance, I have my pick. Greg Stadrawal was telling you guys this week how nervous he was, and you wrote about this, Bill, about an offensive line injury. And we saw what happened when Michael Jordan got in, injured in the Fiesta Bowl. It was mm-hmm. chaos. Yeah. So if you would have said who's the most irreplaceable player last year, I think Pat Elfline would have been very near the top of that list, or Jamarco Jones, right? Because. Yeah. They're really good offensive linemen on an already struggling part of the team that has no depth. Yes. All right. So, like, for instance, like, I don't know if anyone's going to go JT Barrett because do you think Joe Burrow or Dwayne Haskins could step in and, like, keep this running 
and they just throw short passes and hand off, I think maybe as as much as you rely on JT, I think maybe they could. So I don't think I'd go JT. Mm-hmm. All right, so you think you have your answer. And like, you said my answer already. Who is it? Jamarco Jones. It's because it's hard because it's like there's nobody on the, the the defensive line is so good they could lose any of them. Right. The linebackers we expect to be good, but Urban Meyer was talking about your boy Malik Harrison this week. Yes. How he's the fourth linebacker and ready wherever. Yeah. And last year they lost Dante Booker and guess what? They had a star in the making waiting behind him and Jerome Baker. Yeah. And the way that they and I don't know if this is unique to Ohio State or not, but it started with Luke Fickle and it's carried over to Bill Davis. All three linebackers. Learn all three positions, if that makes sense. So, like, if, if whatever, if anything happened to to Chris Worley, there's depth behind him, we're assuming, with Justin Hilliard or Baron Browning, but also Dante Booker or Jerome Baker could play middle linebacker because they're all taught all three positions. I think Jamarco – but by the way, here's my, actually, I don't know the answer to this question, which shows how bad I am at my job. Who is Ohio State's backup center? On paper, it's Brady Taylor. Um, in the past, it's been like Billy Price was Pat Elfline's backup, right? I don't and know. Pat Elfline was Jacoby Bourne's backup, right? So like it was just a starting guard, but slide over. <coughs> Is they, Michael Jordan the backup center? I don't think so. Well, we did like Greg Stewart was asked who was the backup center right now, and he did say Brady Taylor. So maybe if Billy Price did go down, then Brady Taylor were coming to the game. Um, so Billy Billy Price is higher on this list. Then Pat Elfline, I think, would have been last year because there's no Billy Price that you know can definitely slide over and play center. Yeah, I think that would be really hard because Michael Jordan, I mean, he's just trying to get himself straight at left guard, right. and right guard is a mishmash. Right. So a guy there is trying to win a spot. He can't be learning a second position. Correct. So that's – okay, so you say Jamarco. Why might I say Billy Price? I The reason I say Jamarco is – and maybe it's wrong to assume that they do have somebody that can slide in the center. I'm not saying there's anyone on the roster who's almost as good, nearly as good as Billy Price. Um, and I don't know how good Brady Taylor ultimately is, but he's been in the program for a while. They don't have a, like a good backup tackle. Let me ask you this. In reality, Jamarco Jones can't play against Indiana. Who starts at left tackle? Isaiah Prince. Yeah. And then Brandon Bell at your right tackle, right? Yeah. So now you're putting a guy... Now that's the question. If Isaiah Prince is... That question's really about how good Brandon Bowen is. Yeah. Because Isaiah Prince is going to go to left tackle. Even if he's good there, you've got to make sure the right tackle's solid. Because if not, then we're back to last year. Yeah, and maybe this is like a, a window into them thinking Bowen is maybe more ready for that than, than we think. He's like half in the guard battle, and the reason he's only half in is because Urban Meyer doesn't want to move him from tackle. Yeah. So. All right, these are good questions. Do you have? I have one more that's an interesting one. Yeah, I think we can fit one more in. We're coming up. We're 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 long. You guys like it when we go again. long. Yeah. Wait, I lost it. It's not you, Duda. We already did Duda. Steve Basic at Steve Basic. It seems like every recruit is a four or five star now. Is Ohio State recruiting that much better, or are there just more four and five star recruits out there? Like, have they increased how many people get labeled with that? I mean, I don't, I don't know that off the top of my head. My, my, Research. My instinct would be to say no. They're just recruiting that much better. They're just living in a different world. Yeah. They just are. Uh, they moved up. Uh, they just moved to a new neighborhood. Jim Trestle was in a really good neighborhood. Urban Meyer moved to a new neighborhood with Ohio State recruiting. So they just are more. And you just hear about it more. Trestle did not give out very many offers. 
they, on signing day every year, would take pride in how few offers they put out. Because they would say, we have 23 players in this class and we only offered 31. And they would brag about that. They liked their conversion rate. They wanted an Ohio State offer to be viewed as gold so that if you got it, it really meant something. There are kids all over this country who could claim they have an Ohio State offer. Now, would it... Committable or not. Would it be a committable offer? I don't know, but but offers are seen in a very different way. So we talk and write much more about this four-star, that five-star that Ohio State is in on, or that that four-star or five-star from all over the country has Ohio State in its top 12 or top 10 or top 5. And that's just not the case with Trestle. But also they're converting on more four- and five-stars. And it's just because Trestle was more Ohio. There's only so many four- and five-stars in Ohio every year. Urban is more national. The Ohio kids he's taking are usually four-star kids. And then the national guys, they really aren't taking national three-stars. They're not taking very many three-stars. I don't have the 2017 class in front of me. But there's three-stars in the 18 class, but that's because Master Teague's not ranked as high as he should be. Running back commit should be a four-star prospect. He's not. And he will be eventually. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's not that they're giving out more stars. It's that Ohio State's gathering more of them. Yes, All right, that's it for Buckeye Talk. We appreciate you guys listening. Follow Bill at BillLandis25. Follow me at Maurice. Follow our third Ohio State writer, Tim Bielek, which is at Tim underscore Bielek. All the way around. Underscore Tim Bielek? No, it's Bielek underscore Tim. (laughs) B-I-E. Can you cut that part out? It's B-I-E-L-I-K underscore Tim. Okay. Sorry, Tim. God. He should change it. Underscores and names are stupid. Do you know my first Twitter handle when Twitter started was OSU Sports from PD. That's awful. It had the word from in it. <laughs> Have you ever seen a Twitter handle with the word from? Is is that now is like at Doug Lee Maurice still that same account with a different name? Yeah. Nice. And then it became PD Buckeyes. And PD Buckeyes got a little following. But the thing I never liked about that was that it sounds like the police department. Like, you oh, could yeah. never put Ohio State. It's like, what's your Twitter handle? Ohio State PD. The yeah. PD was for Plain Dealer. Ohio State PD. It's like, no, that's not. I think, football. like, the actual handle for Ohio State PD is like OSU PD. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so then they wanted us to brand ourselves rather than just the place. That it wasn't about PD Buckeyes. It was about Doug Maurice. I Even was, though none of you can spell my name. I was the Landis 25 for a while. And then I changed it to Bill Landis 25 because I felt like my full name should be in there, even though the three L's in a row look strange. But I've said this before. There's a, there's an at Bill Landis out there who just won't follow me back to give me his Twitter name, and I'm mad at him. That's weak. All right. Yeah. So you can follow us on iTunes. You can follow us on Stitcher, SoundCloud, TuneIn, Google Play, and iTunes, like you said. And you might not be able to follow on SoundCloud for very much longer because they might go out of business. But anyway, yeah, we'll still live on. So thanks for listening. Go read our stuff at cleveland.com. Uh, Thursday we'll be talking to linebackers. Hopefully we get Dante Booker. We really want to talk to Dante Booker. Um, Jerome Baker, Chris Worley. Maybe we'll get Malik Harrison. That would be really good. We'll be talking to Bill Davis, the best man at Urban Meyer's wedding. He loves to get asked about that. Um, and then... More Urban next week on Monday. We have a lot of stuff coming. We're going to give you a little tease. Our season preview stuff is going to be some good JT Barrett stuff. So we're working on that. So thanks for reading. Thanks for listening. For Bill Landis, for Doug Lee Maurice, 
That was Buckeye Talk. <laughs>